Greg McGarry, Greg Mackling, behind the glass, Jerry, Shanley Vidal, in as content producer once again after taking a couple of weeks off. And Greg, uh, piece of conversation that seemed to be following people around yesterday was the news that Matt Nichols gone down in practice. I saw the email. We were at Camp Day at Tim Hortons at 980 St. James Street yesterday. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I'm on my way home and stop to take a look at something. And then I see in my email, I'm parked on Inkster Boulevard, going through a couple of emails and text messages. And I see this email from one of our camera people that Mac Nichols went down in practice. And then somebody else that was in on the email thread, and I won't say who says you're joking, right? Don't, that's not funny. <laughs> and of course I went right to Twitter to only to find out with much chagrin that it was in fact true. We don't know the status of Matt Nichols injury. We won't know today in all likelihood we may find out tomorrow, but this is not good. If, it turns out to be a serious injury. The Blue Bombers had Darian Durant, as most of us know, secured as their backup quarterback. And then, what is it, 48 hours before training camp was supposed to open, Durant retired and walked away with a $70,000 signing bonus. We don't need to talk about that. But the Blue Bombers are without an established backup quarterback, something that every single team knows in the back of their head they need to have. The Bombers have run this way without an established or a veteran backup quarterback for far too long uh, for the comfort of a lot of folks. And I just really am hoping beyond hope that this isn't anything serious because this season, you got to get off to a good start. Yeah. You know, you can't afford to be without this guy for for an extended period of time. Yeah, and we've, we, you know, we've spoken about Chris Sturveler getting off to a great start. He had a hot uh, game, 10 for 10, but it, as uh, some have pointed out, it was a preseason game, mm-hmm. first crack at the CFL, got to wait to see how he plays in an actual game that matters where he's up against. Like, How did you refer to it? Uh, a team dressed as Edmonton. <laughs> Players right. dressed as Edmonton. That's right, right. And so now the British Columbia Lions, the Bombers opposition Friday night, they're the home team. And if you want some real long-winded insight into this, <laughs> go to the Blue Bomber podcast. Doug Brown and I spoke about this fairly extensively on the podcast that just came out the day before yesterday. We, we, you know, uh, We'd love for you to check it out. But the bottom line is... This is the next progression for Strevler. Now he's going to be playing against a defense that looks a lot more like the BC Lions defense because teams tend to start their starting players at home. They only have two preseason games on the road. They start the players that are in the mix, perhaps, or players that are just there to fill jerseys, but at home for at least half the game, they will see starters, and Chris Strevler will in all likelihood, get a majority of the snaps on Friday night, and he will get a really good look, a real good feel as to what CFL competition is really like because he probably didn't get a genuine taste of that last week at home. One thing, though, and I certainly I don't want to make it sound like I'm I'm happy that Nichols went down, mm. but I'm I'm happy to see the reaction 
the concern from so many Winnipeggers because they're, uh, I had this kind of thought that, you know, after the Jets fever, would people be willing or would, be, would they be able to make that transition immediately right. into the right. CFL season? <laughs> but uh, excitement clearly is getting ready to boil over because Winnipeggers know that this could be the year that the Bombers finally breakthrough. How long has it been, Greg? Uh, I'm around 28 years. <laughs> <laughs> Which I believe is statistically impossible in a, in a team of eight, a More league of eight teams. Or is yes. it nine teams now? It's nine, but yeah, it's been right. uh, eight teams uh, for much of the last uh, 28 years. <laughs> Greg actually has his forehead <laughs> on the microphone right now. <laughs> well, uh... So yeah, we we uh, we will have Doug Brown on the the host co-host of the uh, Blue Bomber podcast. Well, I guess technically he's the host. You like to say he it's he's a, the host. It's his podcast. I'm along for the ride. I okay. just try and keep him. You know how uh, we keep one another on track on this show. I keep Doug on track as best as I can, and of course he uh, works the booth with uh, the legendary Bob Irving, two Hall of Famers on our broadcast. And by the way, if you want a chance to win Blue Bomber season tickets, you still have a chance to do so. We're going to call the winner tomorrow morning, but today, if you text the word BLUE to 204-780-6868, just the word BLUE, don't put your name, don't put your phone number, don't put any emojis, nothing. Just the word blue, and you will get an auto reply. Should also point out, you might not receive the auto reply, because that's what's been happening this week, is people are saying, I didn't get a reply. What's going on? But we check our system, and the auto reply did, in fact, go out, which means you are registered. Also, you you only need to send it to us once. If you Correct. send us 50 texts with the word blue, uh, you're not going to get 50 entries, but you might get yourself blocked because you're flooding our <laughs> inbox. Yeah, we've had an incredible response to this contest, and it's already starting. The inbox is filling up. So uh, thank you for your response to this. We would really like to be calling you tomorrow morning to let you know that you've won Blue Bomber season tickets. Text BLUE, B-L-U-E. Don't forget the E. People were forgetting the S in Bombers yesterday. And because it's an automated system, you got to make sure you spell it right. Otherwise, you're not going to be entered. With just hours to go until voters in Ontario cast their ballots, a new poll conducted exclusively for Global News shows Ontario's Progressive Conservative Party is poised to form a majority government. If that happens, Doug Ford will be the province's next premier. With more, here is Global National's Eric Sorensen. It's close, but Ontario's progressive conservatives are maintaining an edge in the provincial election. Ipsos' final pre-election survey shows the PCs in blue have held steady, now at 39% popular support. The NDP in orange were rising, but leveled off at about 36. The Liberals plunging to 19%, an historic low. But because of the efficiency of the PC vote in more ridings, Ipsos sees the Conservatives still in position to win a majority. Various seat projection models suggest the PCs will win 63-plus. That's a majority of the seats. The NDP, as many as about 50 seats. The Liberals, fewer than 10. Now, fewer than 8 would mean loss of official party status. And we've seen the campaigns and the leaders react accordingly. No one has been racing around the province to more ridings than Andrea Horvath, desperately looking to make up the gap with the Conservatives. Are you feeling the energy that I'm feeling these days? For Doug Ford, it's about hanging on to a lead amid a family lawsuit and other controversies. Tomorrow, June the 7th, 
We will bring change. But is the late turmoil hurting the front runner? As far as the lawsuit against Doug Ford is concerned, uh, basically people who don't like him are the ones that are talking about it, not necessarily the people who are going to vote for him. After Thursday, I will no longer be Ontario's premier. For Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals, a miserable campaign has spiraled into last-minute pleas for votes to stop a majority government. Many don't like their options. The venerable Globe and Mail tends conservative, so would not support the NDP, wants the Liberals out, and calls Ford unfit to be premier. So rather than endorse any party, suggests voters support a local candidate who embodies integrity and principle. That voter angst could affect turnout, something the polls cannot pick up before Election Day. If one party's voters show up at an historically high level, that could throw out all of, all of the calculations. So there's potential for a lot of surprise on election night. Surprise or an unwelcome outcome leaves many Ontario voters uneasy on election eve. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. So you heard a tiny bit from Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. Here's extended audio with Daryl Bricker. Well, what we're seeing is the Tories are opening up a little bit of a lead. The progressive conservatives under Doug Ford over the NDP. So they're now ahead by three, uh, which looks like it's putting them in a position to form a majority government on uh, June the 8th. Well, what it shows is, is uh, that the NDP doesn't really have their vote distributed in a way that, uh, that wins a lot of seats for them. But the conservative vote is actually distributed quite uh, efficiently. So the difference between the NDP in term, and the conservatives in terms of overall vote is not that great but Doug Ford's winning where he needs to win. Well, one part of it is the uncertainty that's, that's been driven by the events of the campaign over the space of the last week. And we've been tracking this on a daily basis, and the numbers have actually been moving in the Conservatives' direction. If Kathleen Wynne, her desire with her strategy was to firm up Liberal support, it seems to have worked in the other direction. Uh, as far as the lawsuit against Doug Ford is concerned, uh, basically people who don't like him are the ones that are talking about it, not necessarily the people who are going to vote for him. Where the uncertainty comes in in this election campaign is around turnout. Typically in an Ontario election we get somewhere between about 50 and 60 percent of the voters showing up. If one party's voters show up at an historically high level, that could throw out all of, all of the calculations. So That's Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. Behind the glass, Jerry, you're from Ontario. What do you think of all this? Uh, I've never been more proud not to currently live in Ontario. <laughs> wow. Why? Uh, your, your, your choices are Doug Ford or Andrea Horvath. Really? Yeah, I mean, Charles Adler's even said this is a little bit of a, a choice between tw Tweedledee and Tweedledum, right? Absolutely. You're picking the lesser of the evils here, and usually that's what happens in an election, but this is, like, I don't know which is the lesser evil. We're back. Hey. Yeah. Huge. This is some sound from a British show that airs on BBC Four. Uh, it's called Location, Location, Location. And one of the hosts, is a, I don't know if they're they're in hot water, but certainly drawn some attention to themselves. Christy Alsop, who stars in this UK reality series, said upgrading her children to first class would be an absurd waste of money. Why is she saying this? Well, when her and her husband go on holidays, her and her husband sit in first class and they let their kids who are 10 and 12 sit in steerage. 
Is this a good way to go? Is this brilliant? Gary's or clapping. Or is this negligence on their part? Uh, oh, Mackling, don't McGarry? be an airplane parent. <laughs> what does that mean, Kelly Moore? As opposed to helicopter parent. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I, 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 I got, got that. You got that right away. You, it's me that, that you have to jibber jab, not him. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of this? I think it's a fantastic idea. Really? Absolutely. If I'm sitting in first class, I do not want a couple of whiny, snivelly kids sitting there. They're your me. kids, Kelly. Send them to the back. Oh, my gosh. They're 10 and 12 years old, for goodness sakes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Where are they going to go? I don't know. Probably, you know, they're I don't gonna know. sit in their seats and play on their iPads oh. or sleep or or whatever. Did you Drive have boys? The... Did you have boys? No, I had two girls. Yeah, yeah. Brett, what do you think about this? Well, they didn't. When I first saw this, like twenty five years ago, in Home Alone, like well, you must have been shell shocked when you saw that movie. No, no, no. <laughs> no I didn't have kids then. Okay. I know how my boys act when they are together. Well, then control I would, your kids, Mac. Like, yeah, and I would yeah. by sitting with them on the bloody plane. Do I think boycott, this is ridiculous. Do you boycott the film when it airs on TV? Do you send our boss, Brent Williamson, notes saying, how dare you air this film, <laughs> this negligent not. film encouraging <laughs> awful behavior? No, I just think you're a parent. It's not like if your kids start misbehaving, then there are going to be people around them that are going to be paying the price for your luxurious Stint in first class. Did you not send your kids to camp? Yeah. Were you doing the helicopter thing around? No, them? there's no, camp they, counselors. There are yeah. camp counselors there. They're paid to keep them in line. And there are, there are, are you allowed to still call them flight stewardesses? Attendants. No, flight, flight attendants. attendants. Yeah. Thank you. There are flight attendants who are paid to keep all passengers in line. And if I'm sitting nearby, I got no problem yelling at kids on a plane. That, yeah. that shouldn't be, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. but, but kids, kids generally act way better when their parents are not around. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm sure the kids would love the break from their parents. And if, if they get out of line, it's not like the parents aren't within earshot. All the flight attendant has to do is walk 10 feet to the first class section, tap on their shoulder and say, go get your kids in line. Oh, you guys are way more forgiving it than should I thought be, you'd be. Let them live a little. Uh, airline policy sense. that first class is 18 and above, period. Yes, I agree. Oh, I wasn't suggesting the kids should be in first class. I was suggesting the parents should be sitting you in and calling with their kids. Why even go on vacation with your kids? Go on a proper <laughs> vacation. <laughs> now, that's a whole other conversation <laughs> that I wouldn't mind having. So uh, you guys are all cool with this. Yeah, 100%, yeah. And uh, the fact that this woman is getting shamed for it, I think is just kind of, I think it's sort of a reflection of where we're at now, just in general, where we have, we go out of our way to shame everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and express our outrage. And we must, how, how we must dare, take the social yeah. media and tell the world how offended we are that how, someone did something with their kids. How dare someone lead their lives a different way than I do. You nice. Know? Well, we got a text here. Greg is 100% wrong. Village raises <laughs> a child. <laughs> well, you know what? I like this. I'm getting permission yeah. to alter my travel plans when we go away in July. I think I'm moving my seats. And if you're in coach, wouldn't you rather have a 10 and a 12 year old kid sitting in the rest of your row as opposed to two, you know, big adults? Oh, you mean you're, talk, your, you're talking yeah, elbow in terms room of the, and stuff? Yeah, it'd be oh, awesome. I like how you guys are thinking about this. This is really validating. Except I would think that probably if the people on the flight you're on have a vote, they'll probably want your boys in first class <laughs> and you in economy. Please. <laughs> Please. Oh, here we got the other side of it. What kind of loser parents sit in first class while they put their kids in steerage? So there you go. The, the first class would be completely uh, lost on kids. I mean, like like 
uh, Kelly said. They're going to sit there and play on their iPads the whole time. They're going to do that whether they're in first class or whether yeah. they're in you know economy. Right. And they're not going to appreciate the better meal that they're going to get in first class than they would in economy. They can't drink the champagne. They don't need the legroom. Yeah, but they could, you know, their champagne. Yeah, order it and I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> the legroom thing drive, would drive me nuts. If I, had, if, I had to, no, if I had to walk by and see children in first class yeah, yeah. as I go to economy, yeah. that reminds me of a flight I took back. I, I took this flight back from Mazatlan, and I can't remember the the name of the airline, but it was a charter, like it was a travel, you know, yeah. this thing that you just booked through a travel agent, and it was crammed pretty tight. It was a little bit tighter than I think a regular sort of commercial uh, airline, and I had a window seat, and I was crammed in really tight, and I don't mind, you know, the window seat, and I'm used to my friends driving small cars, like uh, two friends drove, I think it was a Mazda MX-3 Presidia, where my seat all the way back, my knees were still in the dashboard. <laughs> so I was kind of used to just, just sort of being uh. a sardine. But these three girls who couldn't have been more than 5'3", any of them, somehow managed to get the exit row at the front, and they could, like, lounge out, and I thought, that should just be, like, an automatic thing where if there's, uh, you know, the taller people just get those spots. Not because I'm not out of entitlement, just out of, like, just doesn't seem fair. And I think, what are they called, flight attendants? Yes. I think if they... <laughs> If they see an elbow or a knee in the runway, they speed up the cart. <laughs> and just give you, you? A, a good smash just to, hey, oh, sorry, didn't see that. Yeah. Well, tuck it in. That's one of the reasons why I end up in a window seat because yeah. you, I like the aisle, but I find that I'm always in the way trying to stretch yeah. my leg out or whatever. So I just cram up by the window oh. and I'm good. This has been the best having coffee talking ever because... <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm going online, and I'm switching where Jackie and I are sitting oh, on our way to Chicago this summer. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. Two hours of serenity, and everybody else can uh, deal with my kids, and that seems to be uh, almost overwhelming in favor of this idea that it's They'll okay. Be good. They'll be good because some burly stranger will say something to yeah, them if well, they're acting up. And then I like how be you a, guys are thinking. It'll be 100%. over. Did you feel like an obligation almost? To, like Maybe not an obligation, but I'm, I'm a parent, so I, I guess I have to. I shouldn't want this. I need to be responsible. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm coming from. Not, not any other place, right? That I should be, should be overseeing my kids. Yeah. You know, it's nobody else's responsibility but my own. But If they're four and six years old, and that's they a different need story. To, yeah, I, I, I yeah. mean, we wouldn't even be having this conversation because... Like how many 10-year-olds these days are pretty independent? Like, my granddaughter's going to be eight later this month, and holy smokes, now it's to the point where I can't even hold her hand anymore. You know, because that's not cool. Oh, pa are you Papa? What are, what are you? Your grandpa? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You get shunned. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before it used to be fine, but now it's not. So, you know, I only think of what it's going to be like two years from now when she's in double digits. She won't even talk to you. Exactly. Yeah. And they your boy's probably, they're 10 now? T almost 12. Almost almost 12, and you're worried about them being in the cab? <laughs> Have faith in your parenting skills that you've done a good job and that you've raised some good kids and that they're going to be fine. They yeah. should be on their own by now. I, I love you guys. Text Maybe I'll just let them fly by themselves. <laughs> Text message says, if you can't leave a 10- and 12-year-old alone 50 feet from you, you've failed as a parent. Also, uh, some more validation here. Chef Gordon Ramsay, who is worth around $61 million. Yeah. Also revealed he would not bump up his kids on flights. This is great. Leave them in the back. I think also, do you think it, is there not maybe a lesson to be learned yes. for the kids as well? Because if you treat, the, if the, you spoil the kids, 
and give them the business class, does that, I don't know. What do they have to aspire to later yeah. in life? Yeah, you, uh. yeah, is that, they would appreciate it more if they, if they can earn their way into business class. No, I think that's great. I, 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 love, I love that point of view. Like I said, I wasn't suggesting that this woman should be paying for kids to sit in first class. Just she should be sitting back with her kids. Yeah, if she could afford, if she and her husband could afford to sit in first class, then you know what? If they've earned that, they deserve that right. Wow, this is great. Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, thank you very much. And behind the glass, Jerry. Dramatic reverb. Boy, oh boy. Uh, Brett, Blue Bomber fans, management, coaches, teammates of Matt Nichols uh, holding their breath as we wait to find out if he will be okay. At practice yesterday, Nichols was dropping back to pass in a drill when he went down on his own. No hit, no contact from any other players. And, well, he got up favoring his right leg. He threw his helmet in anger, visibly upset, and quite often uh, there's a telltale there when it comes to the way players react when they get injured as to the severity of it based on how they react. Hopefully it was an overreaction on Nichols' part to talk about what an injury like this to their starting quarterback could mean for the Blue Bombers. We're joined now by Doug Brown. And, Doug, I don't know how many times you've mentioned it either on the air or during the podcast. Uh, Matt Nichols and his health is just about everything to this team. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it's kind of surreal now that you look back at the first preseason game and you you see that moment, his first snap in the game where he actually comes out for for a moment because of uh, something minor that happened. But you get that's a window <clears throat> that was a little bit of a window into you know, this world of, of life without Matt Nichols. And it was, it was a scary thought, I think for, for us and, and, you know, just trying to comprehend, hang on, who's in the game now, you know, and, and just the level of discomfort going from a guy that has played at an all-star caliber level for, for a couple seasons now, and has really, uh, is at the forefront of steering this, uh, this football ship into, uh, you know, calm and, and, and fruitful waters, I think, for, for this club. So with, uh, you know, you compound everything that's happened with uh, Darian Durant and, uh, you know, for this to be a, a training camp, non-contact injury. And you're very right in, in the words that you just mentioned about how a telltale is how a player reacts. Now, Matt Nichols is a guy that's had serious injuries before um, to his knees uh, he knows what that feels like. So you're exactly right. When you watch and, and or you hear the kind of reaction he had, he's the only one that knows what happened on the field, what he felt, whether it was a pop, you know, what uh, what kind of pain he was going through, whether it was familiar or not. He's the only one that knows that. And so you look to see what his reaction was. And obviously in this case, uh, it does not sound very good or very promising. Now the Bombers have a couple of good potential candidates for backup quarterback, but these guys are both fairly new. If the Bombers end up having to rely on one of these guys, is that a a serious (laughs) troubled situation for the team? I mean, I I, honestly, I couldn't see the team just saying, okay, we're going to go forward with the guys we have. I think um, as promising as we've seen, uh, in terms of performances, well, we haven't seen much promising from Ross yet, but he does have a little bit of experience. But um, as promising as Strebler looks, 
he's still extremely green and one performance against uh, Edmonton's backups is not something to hang your hat on when it comes to the regular season. So I have every uh, expectation. Well, first of all, everybody just happily remain in denial right now. No news is good news. I guess you don't cross this bridge until you're forced to, but um, if he is out for any amount of time, I would expect they would try and orchestrate some sort of trade or, or career resurrection to bring somebody in that has played this game. And, you know, with the kind of offense they run, the kind of protection they run, um, how good their offensive line is, it's a, it's a, a great set of circumstances uh, for, for an older quarterback or, or someone with experience to come in. You know, the kind of running game they have, it's not going to all be on the shoulders of the pivot out there. But I just think right now, uh, the guys that they have on the depth chart are just too green to say, okay, we're going forward with you guys. Unless, you know, the Matt Nichols situation is only for a short-term stanza. But right now, I think that's wishful thinking. Now, Doug, you know all too well what can happen when your starting quarterback goes down, whether it's the beginning of a season or maybe, I don't know, three quarters through the way of the Eastern Conference final, <laughs> and you have to go into a great cup. I'm talking about 20, 2007 when Kevin Glenn was all-world all-season for the Blue Bombers, went down with that broken, non-throwing arm, and you went into the great cup with your backup quarterback who'd taken about 19 snaps all season, Ryan Dinwiddie. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we were hopeful, but, you know, you you look back at the game and you're like, that's a lot to ask for a guy to make his first start uh, in the Grey Cup, um, regardless of how long he'd been on the roster and and been around and how many practices he's been through. It's so different. And obviously, quarterback is the most difficult position when it comes to the amount of seasoning you need, the amount of experience you need to be competent and capable in a professional football game, that is the position that takes the most time. You, you look at, you know, all-time greats, guys like Anthony Calvillo, it took them years upon years, and they had to dodge bullets of, of being washed out of the league before they got a, a level of comfortability and, and familiarity with the game where they could start being productive. It doesn't just, you know, so few guys, because they're just a switch. And uh, that it just happens overnight, you know, and it's you even look at Johnny Menzel right now in Hamilton, uh, a former first round NFL draft pick, a guy, you know, that won the Heisman as a freshman in college. And, you know, the expectations for him, even from his own coaching staff with this kind of pedigree are very, very, hey, one day at a time. They're very limited. And, and and that's a guy with the kind of pedigree that he has. Okay, mm-hmm. now you come to this team, and uh, it's it's just real hard to put those kind of expectations on on the kind of inexperienced depth they have right now at Pivot. Doug, we'll have to chat about this at more extensive length, uh, I guess, in the pregame show and throughout the broadcast on Friday night with the you and Bob from the West Coast. Thanks for your time this morning. Hey, guys, I hope it's better news. I'm sure we're going to find something out today, but thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Doug Brown, the host of the Blue Bomber podcast. And uh, what's frustrating is the Bombers had their backsides covered on this by signing Darian Durant. And, of course, we know what happened there, Brett. Yeah, he uh, ran away and uh, took our money. Loads of fun things to do for the little ones this weekend because the 36th annual Kids Fest. 36? 
That's right. Kids Fest starts today at the Forks. It's an initiative of the Winnipeg International Children's Festival. So to give us a preview, we're joined by Executive Director Neil Rempel, joining us live this morning on CJOB. Mr. Rempel, good morning to you. Good morning. How's it going? Yeah, it's going great. How's it going for you? You must be running around uh, doing all sorts of stuff this morning, Neil. Yeah, I was happy to hear your weather forecast just moments ago. <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, <laughs> is that at the top of the list of, obviously, of uncontrollables? You try to control the controllables. Is that at the top of the list of uh, things you do when you wake up in the morning? Do you check the weather app or listen to CJOB for the weather forecast right away? Pretty much the first thing I do. I, as you say, you can't control it. And we are uh, completely undercover. Like, we go on rain or shine. Everything is either under tents or uh, we're using Manitoba Theatre for young people, the theatre there. So we're, we're covered for that, but it's just always better to have the sun shining or at least none of the wet stuff. we got about two minutes here, Neil. Kids Fest uh, happening. Kidsfest.ca is the website. What kind of stuff is happening this weekend? Well, we've got a, a really great lineup of, uh, of national and international artists uh, coming in to perform. We've got uh, music and dance from Africa. We've got an um, acrobat from China. We have Hilby, the skinny German juggle boy from Germany. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> That's it's his name. Nice I'm looking name. at it right now. Yep. <laughs> you didn't make that up. No, I didn't. And he's actually, uh, this is his third time at the festival uh, in the last 10 years, and he's a huge festival favorite. We've got people, and even seniors that have seen him on cruise ships, I was talking last night, that are coming specifically to see him because he's such a funny guy. And then we've got this new guy you might have heard of, Fred Penner. Is, uh, he's, he's a big hit, obviously. Mm. He packs he packs the tent out every year, so it's a nice mix of, of stuff for all ages here. Fred Penner is actually going to join us tomorrow morning at 8.37, and I believe he's going to bring his guitar. Last time he was with us, uh, we had a little, he, he coaxed us into a little sing-along. So do uh, do you need to buy tickets for this, or can you just show up? You, well, you can get tickets at the gate if you want, uh, but, you know, Winnipeggers love a bargain, so if you wanted to stop in at any Safeway store and go to the customer service, you get a discount. Uh, you can save a few bucks on tickets in advance. All right, Neil Rempel. Hey, thanks for telling us a little bit about Kids Fest. Looking forward to it, okay? All right, thank you. Executive Director of Kids Fest, Neil Rempel, part of the Winnipeg International Children's Festival. It's on today until Sunday at the Forks. Fred Penner joins us tomorrow morning at 8.37. Yes, indeedy, it's... Time for the Small Town Salute, brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. Where are you taking us today, Brett McGarry? I discovered on the Travel Manitoba website, there is an event that is beginning today, and it runs every Thursday through August 30th. It's called Thursdays in the Village, so we are headed south to a place called Neubergtal, and we are joined live on 680 CJOB by Sean Friesen, who is chair of the Neubergtal Heritage Foundation. Sean, you actually gave me two pronunciations yesterday. One was Neubergtal. Did I get it right? Well, you were close. Close. Close enough. Okay. Well, then let's let's run through this here because I my my uh, I, I confess my German pronunciations are not up to snuff. How would you say it? I would just say Neubergtal. Neubergtal. 
Yeah. yeah okay. Or Neuberstal. Neuberstal. The anglicized version is Neuberstal. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to, you know, we try to get it right here. Neu, Neubergtal. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> okay. So, Sean, um, first of all, where is uh, Neubergtal or Neuberstal for the anglicized? Yeah, it's a small um, village located just southeast of Altona, Manitoba. Uh, it would be roughly, if you go down Highway 75 to the junction of uh, 421, which is south, and then it's just another 10 minutes west. Now, so it's a, roughly an hour from the perimeter. Okay. Now, Sean, I'm looking at the uh, the Google view, the satellite view on Google Maps here, and this community of yours, just it, it looks so quaint and well-organized. What's at the heart of the community there? Well, the heart of the community is its layout. It's it's laid out along Road 1 West, and it's, it's a traditional Mennonite street village. It's, this one is a little bit different in the sense that it's bisected by Provincial Highway 421. However, uh, it is actually a National Historic Site, and Parks Canada identified it as one of the best representations left of uh, a Mennonite street village. So it, it contains not only the village street, uh, it's got much of the original architecture. There's probably in that street there's six traditional house barns that the Mennonites built and lived in it where the house is attached to the barn. And one of the things that makes Newbridgeville particularly beautiful is um, it still has some of the old hundred year old cottonwood trees. Wow. Yeah, I'm just uh, looking at the website as well. Oh, no, com, and uh, you can see some of the old properties that are in such good condition. Oh, immaculate. What, so when it's described as one of the best preserved single street Mennonite villages in North America, what is it that sets your community apart from others in this category? Um, it is the number of heritage buildings. Like I said, there's, you know, six or seven house barns, but there's also some secondary buildings like that some of the old chicken coops and the granaries. Like there, there's some granaries that are, you know, from the 1890s that, that are there. And the other thing that makes it unique is that it is, you can go to the Steinbeck Heritage Museum, which has many things, Mennonite. Universal is not a museum. It is a living, breathing village. You know, there's still about 40 families that live there. Uh, some of the industries located right in Nebrishtal. For example, there is a little uh, small engine repair, Terry's Test and Tune. There's farmers who still farm the land around there but live in Nebrishtal. They have their equipment in Nebrishtal. So if you come to visit us, it's very important that you pay attention and get off the street when farmers come through with their uh, their equipment because they are... They're modern, state-of-the-art farmers who farm in uh, an aggressive, large way. Plus, the, it's interesting because it's a mix of many traditional families. Like, you have people living there who their great-grandfathers, great-great-grandfathers were the original founders. So you've got this mix of the new and the traditional. And it's, it's just always been a very unique village. They have interesting ways of doing things. Two things that really stand out for me are, for example, the community center, which was built in the 70s, sits on privately owned land. The village paid for it. And then the lady whose land it sits on has been running that at the community center ever since. And, uh, you know, she's she just, we had a, an event there on the 26th and, 
she and her family were out there making sure that the uh, the lawn was mowed and everything was weed whacked. And right on that same yard is also a skating rink that the community uses in the wintertime. Well, I don't know of any place else that you could have a community spirit where you have a village-owned structure on privately-owned land run privately to the village's benefit. So, Sean, I have to ask you you're, two questions. You're okay, the villagers, you're all happy to see a city slickers come and uh, walk around the village and take notes and pictures and, and things. And the other thing is, do I need to pack a lunch? Is there somewhere where I can, uh, you know, get refreshment and, and be fed? Well, the, the answer is, um, I mean, I'll be honest, some people prefer the village to be not too busy, you know, and the biggest thing is for farmers is when there's people, they need to honour the fact that they need to move back and forth on the street with their equipment. The NHF welcomes people to come. We have a variety of things, like now in summer, we have uh, a house barn that we lease from a private owner that was restored it's ballpark built around 18, late 1890s, 1900. If you, it's open for tour dates. The times are on the website. We have a summer student who, who is accessible for tours. In the past, we've had uh, one of the women who grew up in that house barn. She's still alive. She's still a great storyteller. If you're lucky, you may get her telling stories about that. Uh, so that's always available. Then the other thing that we have now is... Uh, NHF owns four acres in the village, and we refer to that as the Neberstal Commons. Terry Miro, our vice chair, came up with that idea a while back, and it's the kind of like the mission statement of the NHF is to preserve, protect, and to share the, what's beautiful, what's important, and valued in this community. And so to do that, we've kind of taken, okay, we want the history but we also want more than the history. We want the oral history, but we want the stories. So we've created a place, this gathering space, this commons for people to come, to gather, to be able to have fun, but also to take part in important conversations. So the, the four acres contains a renovated 1890s schoolhouse, which we use for a variety of things. It comfortably holds uh, probably 50 to 60 people. It has modern washroom facilities attached to it. Uh, for example, we've had uh, Kara Luft of the New Glories did a small concert there earlier. We had a storytelling workshop Thursday night, and that's where we'll be holding the felting workshop again this Thursday. And beside it, we have an 1880s house, which doubles as a picnic shelter, still with the traditional shutters, etc. So people get a sense of what, what an 1880s house is. But again, these are not museums. These are functional venues that people can rent for a very reasonable space and have modern conveniences. Uh, the other thing that is on that is what we call the Commons Barn. Uh, it, it, it's a very unique facility. Its, its history is, is staggeringly unique. It was built near Steinbach, somewhere in the 1870s, probably around 1875, 1876, dismantled, it's a post and beam barn, moved to Nebrichtal and reassembled. Okay, it then was a functional barn, uh, had a large dairy operating out of it, and then <clears throat> as things moved on, the people passed away, the NHF received this 
you know, as a gift through the estate. We have now, with the support of Parks Canada, partnering with a 50% cost share grant, we have refurbished that into a modern gathering, gathering site. The posts and beams, which are now 130, 140 years old, are all exposed. It's got an 11-foot ceiling, concrete floor, modern heating, geotherm heat, geotherm cooling. It's a gathering venue that can hold as many as uh, 150 people. And we will be using it for, for example, two things that are scheduled on the Thursday nights that you identified are the, we're going to have two coffee houses where we try to showcase local talent in there. In the past, we've done it in, in our house barn. Um, but here we have the modern washrooms. We have the air conditioning. It's barrier-free access. So we have three barrier-free washrooms. And uh, it, it's, I think it's stunningly beautiful because you have, you got these, you got this single street village, which is in itself unique. You have this house barn, which is restored to its original on the exterior. You walk in there, you've got 11 foot ceilings. You've got these staggeringly beautiful post and beam building where the posts and the beams, many of them are tamarack, which supports the story of it being moved from. Sean Friesen, I'm terribly sorry. We do have to get, we're just getting the, the heave ho from behind the glass, Jerry. We got to move, but this is, it, it's also fascinating. We could just listen to you continue, but we do have to move. The website is newberstalheritagefoundation.com. I'm going to spell that for you. That's N-E-U-B-E-R-G-T-H-A-L heritagefoundation.com. And if you go to uh, the events section, uh, you go to Commons Barn Events, and every Thursday through the entire summer has a different event, and it just sounds like such a wonderful place to visit. And uh, so much history there, my God. That was just a fascinating uh, tale to be regaled about a spot I'd never heard of and right in our own backyard. Yeah, I'm on my way there in my mind already, Brett. This is why we do the Small Town Salute on 680 CJOB every Thursday morning. As you likely know by now, the Winnipeg professional sports scene welcomed another club to its stable of teams. Valor FC will begin play next season in the Canadian Premier Soccer League. Here's Global News reporter Austin Siragusa with more. Maroon, wheat, gold, and earth black. These are the three colors that will make up the newest member of the Canadian Premier League, Valor FC. Named after three World War I soldiers who all grew up on the same street now known as Valor Road. We want you playing for this team when you grow up. We want hometown heroes. We, were extreme, we are extremely proud not only to be partnered with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but we're proud to be here in the city of Winnipeg. About 200 supporters gathered at Investors Group Field, where Valor FC will begin playing in April 2019. Many young athletes juggling and kicking balls around the field, now with the team they can aspire to perhaps one day join. Valor FC joins inaugural CPL teams that have already been confirmed in Calgary, Halifax and York Region just north of Toronto. But the league says more teams will be announced in the coming weeks and as it grows, the hope is so does its fan base. Soccer is the most participated sport in Canada with over 11,000 children playing soccer in our province. It's unbelievable the size of the community. And by next spring, they'll have a new team to cheer for. 
Austin Siragusa, Global News. Now, the team name seems to be an absolute hit. I'm in love with it, honoring a big part of Winnipeg history. Here's Wade Miller, president and CEO of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who is also president and CEO of Valor FC, to expand on the origins of the name. Most Manitobans know the story of Valor Road and, and the, the three uh, three service members that uh, you know uh, fought for this country in World War One, and we just thought it was appropriate to be able to honor them and keep that tradition going. There's nothing you can do for him, you hippie! I get it, get him, sir! He's still alive! Come back! Come back, you fool! He's got him! He's bringing him back! Sergeant Fred Hall lived on Winnipeg's Pine Street. Bob Shanklin lived on Pine Street, too. And you know what? So did Leo Clark. No! Sergeant! Sergeant! It's Clark! We just heard he took out 20 Germans! Clark? Clark, Shanklin, Hall. Amazingly, they all won the highest award for courage we could give them. The Victoria Cross. That's why we changed the name of Pine Street to Valor Road. And, you know, our, the focus, courage, honor, and pride. And, and that's uh, what Valor FC will stand for. So, um... You know, and then the colors really are representative of, of Valor and, and, and the Victoria Cross. So uh, really excited about the uh, identity and uh, it'll be uniquely uh, Winnipeg and Manitoba that, you know, we can tell the rest of the country this story. Now, Valor FC will play 14 home games out of Investors Group Field. The uh, team is a nonprofit organization that's uh, been sponsored by the Winnipeg Football Club and and will be uh, managed by the Winnipeg Football Club. So they play out of Investors Group Field. How many other teams in the league? There'll be uh, six to eight uh, teams to start off the uh, Canadian Premier League next year. There's been a few announced already and some more over the next uh, two to three weeks. Uh, It's a sanctioned league by the Canadian Soccer Association and FIFA and will be a uh, Tier 1 league across the country. Now, one question many people are asking, where will these players come from? There'll be a mixture of uh, Canadians and uh, international players. And uh, I can pretty well guarantee that you're going to see Manitobans playing professional soccer next year for the Valor FC. So I was president and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club and now Valor FC Wade Miller in conversation. He heard Richard Cloutier's voice. Wade joined Richard and Julie on the news yesterday afternoon following yesterday's very, very positive and exciting announcement. And kids were a huge part of the announcement at IGF yesterday. Kelly Moore was there to capture the moment. How long have you been playing soccer for? Since I was two. You seem like you're pretty excited about what happened today. Yeah, I was so hyped. Why? Because we got, finally got a soccer team in our own soccer league. Yeah, you're going to talk to your mom and dad about taking you to the games? Yeah, and I really want a jersey too. I think it's pretty good. I like the name. Yeah. I love the reason behind it. So that more young guys like maybe your sons can play? Yeah, that yeah. would be great. Will you come to the games? I will try. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, they say 15 to $40 for tickets, so is that pretty cost-affordable in your budget? Yeah, that's actually pretty reasonable. A little less than I thought it was going to be, so that's great. What position do you play? I play goalie, and my second favorite is striker. All right, so what do you enjoy better, scoring goals or stopping shots? I like stopping shots a little bit more. Pretty excited about what you heard today? Oh, I'm super excited. What did you think of the name Valor FC? Do you like it? 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. So what do you think about the new soccer team coming to Winnipeg? I think they're going to win um, a Euro Cup. You think they're going to win a Euro Cup? Holy crows. You're not putting too much pressure on them, are you? Nope. I don't I don't know if they can compete for the Euro Cup, but I like the enthusiasm of that young man. Thanks to Kelly Moore, Austin Saragusa, Richard and Julie for uh, for putting together those interviews and all that great sound for you. Valor FC, it is uh, a fantastic name. We want to tell you a story that was on globalnews.ca a couple of days ago about a Winnipeg senior who is aiming to set a provincial record for a 100-meter sprint. Here's Nikki Judy with more. So he'll set it up. He'll give you a call. It's Lou Billinkoff's birthday, but that isn't stopping the 95-year-old from getting his workout in. Go! Billinkoff is spending his big day at the track running a 50-meter sprint. It's a test event for the upcoming Manitoba Age Class Championships later this month. Billinkoff's time, 14.45 seconds. It's not as good as I hoped for because I know I can do better. But he also hasn't been doing it long. Billinkoff started running at 89 years old after surviving a heart attack. Six years later, he's now in the running to become a provincial champion. I'm feeling great. I always feel great. Helping him every step of the way, his coach, Sheldon Reynolds. So we're doing 20-meter sprints, 40-meter sprints, 50-meter sprints. Yeah. He says the speedy senior is a shoe-in for the 95-plus age category title in the 100-meter dash, twice the length of what he ran Tuesday. Yes, he can definitely do it. He's got a personal best of 28.29, and the current record is 1 minute 18 seconds, so he should demolish the record. Billinkoff says he knows he's fast, he just has to believe in himself. If I have a lot of confidence in myself and relaxed, that's all I need. While he says he will get there with the help of four training sessions a week, Tuesdays ended a little different with the birthday treat. Nikki Judy, Global News. Just watching video of this guy <laughs> sprinting down the track. 90. 95. Yeah, 95 years old. He runs. Yeah, I don't run that fast. It's an incredible story. If you have not managed to see it and you can't find it at globalnews.ca, send me an email. Send Brett an email. Brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. I'll get it to you, or Brett will. It's uh, it's a sight to behold. Congratulations to Lou. Happy belated birthday. Obviously a beloved man. Maybe not quite as beloved as the individual who's been highlighted in an obituary for Minnesota, Brett. Okay. And it's sort of gone viral. I'm playing some audio here from our friends at Global Edmonton. Well, obituaries are typically an opportunity for family to express their love for the deceased. Yeah, but one obit has done just the opposite, and it's gone viral. Slav Kornick is here with that story. Well, when an 80-year-old Minnesota woman passed away last week, two of her children took it upon themselves to write an obituary in the local newspaper, but this one is much different than the ones we normally see. The obit notes that Kathleen Demlo had married in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. Pretty normal so far. But then the letter continues that five years later, Demlo got pregnant by her husband's brother and moved to California, abandoning her children who were raised by their grandparents, apparently. The obit ends with this. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that the world is a better place without her. Ouch! <laughs> yeah, that's pretty harsh. So... It's, kinda, it's almost refreshing, though, to see something 
honest like that. Not to say that other obituaries are not honest. And my goodness, as like that came out of my mouth, I realized what I just said. But it, uh, why don't we say unique? It's, it's you don't see that kind of thing in obituaries. No, without question. And I know the, the discussions being had. Is this refreshing in terms of, you know, people taking power back or, you know, like, hey, uh, this person's gone now. Maybe you should have voiced these concerns when they were alive. Be interested to know how you feel about it. 204-780-6868. Highly appropriate or out of bounds. It's back to McGarry on this Thursday morning. Greg Macklin, Brett McGarry with you till 10. I'm the Glass Jerry. Doobie Brothers. I like it. I like it a lot. You might not be liking the traffic situation around town this summer. We complain about the roads, Brett, but we also complain about the construction. It's such a dichotomy, right? Uh, How do you square that circle? The whole idea of we got to fix these roads, but when we get down to fixing them, um, why are you fixing this now? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to shout. No, no, shout. That's what happens when you're behind the wheel. Uh, you, 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 you might be weaving a tapestry of obscenity. <laughs> well, this might help you add to that tapestry because that construction affecting traffic on St. Mary's North could last another week. And apparently that's the good news. Yeah, well, what's the bad news? Here's Global's Tim Brook to explain. Bumper to bumper. This is what you'll be seeing a lot of this summer, and this is what you'll be hearing. Summer equals construction. It's always like that. I mean, we know it needs to get done, but, you know, nobody wants to sit and wait in traffic. Over 200 road renewal projects are planned this summer thanks to a record-setting $116 million in municipal funding. That means drivers could be spending more time in park than ever before. They said it was going to be a month in April. Well, now we're into June and it doesn't look like it's going to be done. Many of the problems lie here in downtown Winnipeg. Getting out of here is uh, kind of a pain. St. Mary's Road, Donald Street and Notre Dame are three of the six well-used routes to get in or out of the downtown and they're all seeing major construction. Portage and Henderson are currently clear, but construction is expected along Portage and on the Disraeli Bridge, which connects Henderson and the downtown. Getting to the core via Provence is a safe bet, as long as you're steering clear of the work being done on Taché. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say uh, it's going to be easy on traffic, but certainly it's short-term pain for long-term gain. Pain that is being felt almost everywhere as drivers look for alternative routes, even clogging up roads that are, for now, construction-free. Tim Brook, Global News. So as the city clamors for that 120, 160, we're not quite sure on the amount of money from the Building Canada Fund Mm -hmm. to build and to repair regional streets. Yeah, this is what we're getting for $100 million plus this year. Can you imagine throwing another $160 million at this issue overall over the next three or four years if that money comes through? It'll be great. Like Ken Allen, you heard Ken Allen from the city of Winnipeg there. Yeah, short-term pain, long-term gain, because it is nice when the roads are finally repaired. There's no question about it. Yeah, it is nice. And as long as things are designed properly or planned properly, we just talked about that intersection, uh, doesn't affect a, a large swath of the population. But for those who are there, it's a huge pain, uh, Peguis and Reinders, um, where the Costco meets is, is sort of across the street from the Canadian Tire, kind of behind Kildona Place Mall. If you want to turn left, if you're heading east on Reinders, you want to turn left onto Peguis and go northbound, it takes forever. And that's just 
Why not put a turning arrow there? It's just some something so simple that could solve so many problems, but they didn't think of that, and now it's a mess for everybody who has to sit at that intersection. Well, and it doesn't line up perfectly with the Costco. They, fi- I think that's all fixed, though. Oh, they fix that. Yeah, and they're... are there traffic signals there now? Yeah. Because I've been avoiding Costco, uh, that one in particular, because of how, what, what a... It was a four-way That's before. It's a show yeah. <laughs> of a certain kind yeah. getting in and out of there. And Jackie and I have been avoiding that Costco altogether just for that very reason. So I haven't been over there, even though it's kind of my neck of the woods, so to speak. Yeah, they, they, they it was a four-way stop, but the exit to the Costco didn't quite line up with the rest of the intersection. So that seems to all be fixed. And now it's a controlled intersection with lights. No turning arrow. No turning arrow for the... 25 to 30 cars are trying to turn left, Uh, so that needs to be fixed. Uh, So construction, yeah, as long as it's done right, then yes, it's great. I mean, we've seen it on St. James. I remember when, remember when we got to St. James when they finally opened it up? Yes, it was delightful. It was like new furniture. It was like a new member of the family had arrived. It was, it was fantastic. Hey, how about the intersection at Donald and Portage Avenue in front of the Alt Hotel? They're ripping up the curb lane that's a one-way south, so the right-hand curb lane, yep. they're ripping that up. I, I don't know for how, like like third summer in a row, they're oh. doing something at that intersection. I'd really like to know what what they're looking for now. Did somebody forget their keys in there or something? I've just gotten used to that being a permanent fixture because they there was work going on, I guess, when they were doing the hotel for all those years. Right. And there's always, there's been something around that whole vicinity, whether it was when they built Bell MTS Place or just a little further, I mean, I guess this isn't the same vicinity The high, when they built the hydro building, but I just kind of like to avoid that whole area in general at busy times because I know it's going to stink. Yeah, there's always a lane missing, missing in action. What about uh, Petro Canada stations? Have you noticed the 0.00 at some of the Petro Canada stations? They're not giving the gas away for free, unfortunately. I The first one I saw was the one on Grant, right in front of Grant Park Shopping Centre, and I thought, well, that's weird to see zeros. I wonder how many people have gone in and said, hey, is the gas free? <laughs> hey, that's what, you're, that's what it's what listed. It uh, we don't have any, actually. Yeah. And when I saw, so I, I, I saw it and I thought, well, that's odd. Maybe they're out of gas. And then I went and drove by another Petro Canada, I think the one on Nairn. And I saw they were out of gas. And then I drove by a third one. I guess the one maybe on Portage uh, near the Advance Electronics. Right. And I'm, I think that one was out of gas too. So what... What's going on here? There's a little bit of a shortage, and it comes out of Edmonton. Some Calgary area Petro Canada stations were shut down uh, earlier this week. And so uh, Suncor said in a statement to Global News on Tuesday, we are currently experiencing a gasoline supply shortage. We understand that this is an inconvenience for our customers, and we apologized. And then on Wednesday, Uh, They suggested that this was due to ongoing seasonal maintenance in the industry, and that has reduced our product inventory. So Edmonton, Calgary, also feeling this pain. So if you're a regular customer dealing with Petro Canada, that's why they're out of gas at some of their pumps at some of their locations. And yet the price is going down at other stations. You'd think the other gas stations would would jump on this as an opportunity to raise their I prices. I had that exact thought this morning when I passed uh, the co-op at Henderson and McLeod and going, hey, they're keeping it at 125.4, even though they've got a Petrocan kitty corner at triple zeros. I bought my gas. Uh, I drove by the Canadian Tire here on St. James the other day, saw it was $1.29. 
And I thought, oh, I'm going to wait. I needed to get gas, but I didn't quite need to get gas yet. So I figured I'll wait. Rounded the corner on Ness, and the shell was at $1.259. So I thought, oh, I'll get gas here. And I thought it was, I thought I'd You're won proud? a small victory. And then the next day it was $1.229 at the Canadian Tire. Well, so, well, well, well. yeah. Um, maybe it'll, maybe they'll all jump up to like, I don't even want to suggest anything. Don't, don't, don't do it. No. No. Don't jinx anything. Hey, we're getting your feedback as well. Finally, as things slowed down on the text messaging machine at 780-6868, the code word is blue, by the way, if you want to get in on those blue bomber season tickets, we'll be calling someone tomorrow. Uh, We played you audio of that obituary that wasn't very kind yeah, and a variety of responses there. Uh, how about this? Brett and Greg, my opinion is it's uh, same as anything. You can think it, but don't say it. Scott says, never speak ill of the dead. Yep. And then we had Brenda who said, uh, Hey, you know what? That's kind of refreshing for people to speak their mind. So uh, the full gamut of responses in terms of your opinion on that. Hey, Doobie Brothers again. I love it. Yeah, it's such a great Doobie Brothers song. It's actually BTO. Oh, I feel shame. You should. That's a Manitoba band. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Backling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. If you can't wait for an exhibition, you need the rush of the midway or some of the great shows, uh, you can take a drive out Highway Number 1 West to Brandon because right now it's the Manitoba Summer Fair taking place in the Wheat City. That's right. It's the 136th Manitoba Summer Fair, and it's on through Sunday in Brandon. To tell us more, we're joined by Ron Christensen, who is General Manager at the Provincial Exhibition of Manitoba. Mr. Christensen, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. So the fair started yesterday. How busy were you yesterday? We we had a good crowd yesterday. You know, it was a beautiful afternoon and evening in Brandon, uh, we had lots of people out on the first day to uh, beat the big lineups and have a lot of fun, and uh, it was a really great opening day for us. This is really an institution, a big part of summer, at least the kickoff to summer in southwestern Manitoba. Ron, I have fond memories of attending the Manitoba exhibition and the summer fair. It's uh, really a, a great time. It is. You know, it's... Uh, this part of the world, we live in a deep freeze for uh, a big chunk of the year. So when the temperature gets up into the 20s and maybe sneak into 30, the first week of June, it's uh, it's ideal times to come and enjoy some family entertainment. Now, Ron, it just kind of occurred to me now, it sort of hit me that to, see, to be able to say the 136th edition of the Manitoba Summer Fair, this is an event that's clearly rooted with in some deep history. Well, it is. You know, the we're, the exhibition is as old as the city of Brandon. Uh, started in 1882. The uh, the city jumped right to be in the city. Brandon was never a town, was never a village. Uh, people came west from Winnipeg and realized there was uh, a spot right here that worked. And they, within just a few months, they had had enough people to be incorporated in the city. And then they said, you know what, we should have an exhibition. So. Away they went, and we've been doing it ever since. 
So what are some of the unique features, some of the unique things that we can check out in Brandon that we might not see uh, here at Red River at Red River X, as an example? Well, you know, I think we've got uh, we've got a little different lineup as far as some of our uh, home craft and and horticulture competitions, photo competitions, historical displays. Uh, that's something that we've we've been building on here for the last couple of years. We're in. A, we just moved our offices back into a National Historic Site building, right here on the Keystone Centre grounds in Brandon. It's been a been about a seven-year project to restore this historical building and uh, create our offices and display space in it. So, we moved in uh, last Friday night about 5:30 and opened for business Monday morning and kicked off the fair here yesterday with some great crowds and it's. Uh, just a, a world-class facility here, the Keystone Centre, and being back on grounds in our own building is a huge piece of, of our heritage and where we're going for the next 135 years. And I would be remiss, uh, Greg, we mentioned this a few months back, a couple months back, that it, this was coming, we thought it was coming here and it was actually going to Brandon. The I Love the 90s tour is tonight in Brandon at Westova sure. Place. Uh, Vanilla Ice is going to be in Brandon. You betcha. I'm guessing that those guys are in town here now. I know uh, I was talking to our friends across the parking lot at the Keystone there, and uh, things are set up. It's looking to be a lot of fun. We're going to, uh, the fair opens here at 4 o'clock, so we've got some uh, entertainment happening in our beer garden out in the parking lot. We're going to do a I Love the 90s tailgate party starting at 5 o'clock with some prizes and giveaways. So if you've got your uh, I Love the 90s tickets, they uh, they get you admission to the grounds, and away we go. We'll party on. <clears throat> and then right from that, if you're not going to the 90s uh, concert, we're going to roll into some uh, entertainment on our on our comedy stage. We've got Queer and Present Danger Comedy Showcase. Uh, they're a really entertaining group that's uh, sponsored this year with Brandon Pride. So that's a new partnership for us that we're really looking forward to uh, adding some of the a few different uh, elements to our shows. We've got circus-type entertainment that are doing stilt walking and juggling and fire breathing. We've got a skateboard show, a great lineup of uh, family entertainment with Doodles the Clown, and Marcus is uh, just world-class kids' entertainment and uh, activities all around the grounds. All right. Well, Ron Christensen, thanks so much for telling us about this. Uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, enjoy the next uh, few days. All right, and we got uh, everything's on our website, manitobasummerfair.com, our schedules, different things happening every day. Come on out and stay for a couple days. We'd love it to have you here till the weekend. Ron Christensen, General Manager of the Provincial Exhibition of Manitoba. Once again, it's the 136th Manitoba Summer Fair. It's on through Sunday at uh, the Keystone Centre in Brandon. That 90s tour, by the way, All for One is there. DJ Cool, CNC Music Factory featuring Freedom Williams. And uh, Thea Austin, formerly of wow. Snap. Yeah, man, I forgot how solid that lineup was. So if you can uh, sneak a day off tomorrow, head out to Brandon this afternoon, stay overnight, make it a weekend. I know a few people who are doing exactly that, heading out to Brandon for the weekend for the summer fair. ACDC, Money Talks, Apt Music. As we bring in one of our top five favorite guests, Kelly Keene is here. 
Top five, I'll take it. I want to be in the top three. I want to know who's on that list. We won't say who's on gentlemen. the list, Kelly. Sorry. Oh, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, we try to just keep it as a, we don't have a, an actual order. Mm. It's just we have our five. Okay, I like that. Yeah. There's no order. Yeah. Somewhere rolling around in there. Okay. <laughs> sometimes Kelly. sometimes oh. we have to talk to her on the phone, but when she comes to Winnipeg, <laughs> she must come and see us. It's, it's mandatory, Always. right? Always, 100%. Award-winning, she's an award-winning author, a personal finance educator, and a consumer advocate for Financial Planning Standards Council. Did I miss any other titles? You did not. Okay. Yeah. What's the website? Uh, financialplanningforcanadians.ca. Everything we're going to be talking about today, it's all on there. Resources, so much more to get people feeling empowered. Take away the shame, the taboo. Uh, as we've talked about before, about talking about not money. People love talking about money. It's the lack of money that people don't like talking about. Yeah, June is Seniors Month, so we want to focus on an issue that is greatly impacting older Canadians. For some seniors, those golden years have become tarnished because they don't have enough financial security. And so what does that lead to, Kelly? We can say that in broad terms, but in real, in real life scenarios, what is this causing for folks besides stress? Yeah, well, we wanted to know how severe this was. So the Financial Planning Standards Council, in conjunction with Credit Canada, we went out to survey seniors, and I'll specify that that was um, those age 60 plus, to see how they're doing with debt savings, if they're still having to work, what kind of uh, income they're relying on. And um, we were pretty surprised by the results, that over half had some kind of issue when it came to their finances. A quarter were really worried about not having enough money before they passed away. A quarter were also really fearful about not being able to afford long-term care. And of those that are homeowners, a quarter still have a mortgage. Right. So this is the big no, no. Now, if we were here a couple decades ago and I know a lot of your listeners listening, remember what was happening a few decades ago, double digit interest rates. uh, It was unheard of to go into a mortgage or go into a retirement with a mortgage. And I have to tell you, I have people tell me at 50 that they're, you know, upscaling, not downscaling, <laughs> upscaling, getting the house, living up with the Joneses, things of that sort. And it's like, really, you want to go into, you know, when you're 75 and still be paying off that mortgage? And they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't really think about that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. guess who's turning 50 next year? Really? Yes. And we've had that conversation in our house about what we're going to do. And, and we've decided to stay exactly where we are and to keep the mortgage where it is for the most part and yeah. maybe do some, we've done some renovations. But uh, when you talk about the fact that people are retiring with a mortgage, there are lots of other kind of frightening uh, statistics that came out of this survey as well. Yeah, the debt certainly jumped out a lot. So those over 60, um, 56% of them have at least one form of debt and 26% had two. Now, let me break it down a little bit because the ones that are leading the pack in that form of debt were credit cards and lines of credit. So credit cards are concerning because they're double-digit interest rates, right? Compound interest not working in your favor. Uh, The line of credit is also concerning because uh, the Commissioner of the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, Lucy Tedesco, her um, agency came out with a warning recently that Canadians are using their homes as ATMs and to stop doing that. Now, a lot of people don't even realize that they have these hybrid mortgages. So as they pay down their 
their regular mortgage, their line of credit availability goes up. They don't even have to do anything because they have this lovely little line of credit. Because they've got a mortgage on the overall asset, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a belief that that's going to hold its value. And, and increase and all that type of good stuff. And you know what? It may, in fact, do that. But that line of credit that a lot of Canadians are pulling on for a renovation or a vacation or whatever, thinking, well, you know, it's just a couple of percent and only making the interest only payments on it. That is the big concern. We're talking like the minimum payment? The minimum payment, which is interest only oftentimes. See, the mortgage forces you to pay principal and interest. So even if you've got the 25-year amortization, if you did nothing else, you're going to have it paid off at the end. But if you have this lovely little pot of money, pot of money, I say, this pot of credit that seems like money, um, that's that's a big issue. And then, listen to this, those aged 80 and older, 35% of them have at least one form of debt, 80 or older. And when you talk about the credit debt, how much debt... Are, are we talking about? Like, did you get into that yeah, kind of Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get into the meat and potatoes of, like, exactly how much. I mean, you know, it kind of depends on the situation as well. What are your savings? Are you a homeowner? Aren't you? So we didn't get into that. But last month, the FPSC had another survey that we followed up from 2014, where Canadians said that over personal relationships, over health, over work, money was their number one source of stress in 2014. We wanted to see if that, in fact, was still true in 2018. They said, yep, even more so. More embarrassment, more um, feeling that they have to live up to the Joneses. And you know what also the impact of this, you were saying about the impact, Greg, to seniors, is millennials are watching all of this. And they're lying to friends and family and colleagues more about money. They're feeling this embarrassment and this shame um, and not really understanding what to do, when to do it, and just seeing everyone else doing it. So you might as well throw it on a credit card or what have you instead of saying no or that you can't afford it. Kelly Keene is here. Award-winning author, personal finance educator, consumer advocate for Financial Planning Standards Council, the website kellykeen.com. June is Seniors Month, focusing on the fact that a lot of Canadian seniors are feeling their golden years are losing their luster, especially when it comes to their finances. And Kelly, you mentioned the word a couple of times. Uh, in various demographics and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. So what is it that people are embarrassed about? As it relates to, you, you talked about as well, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. I mean, people aren't embarrassed about money. They're not embarrassed about their finances. They're embarrassed about, number one, one where they think they should be. Mm-hmm. And because they're looking at someone else, a coworker, a family member, something of that sort, they have no clue. They have no clue because forever that we've been on this planet, with the exception of the last few decades, if you were poor, you looked poor. And if you were rich, you looked rich. Everyone knew. Like, everyone knew. And I'm not in the financial industry anymore. The last 14 years I've been writing and educating. But when I was in the financial industry for 12 years, and half of that was for a big bank, I got to tell you, I was an investment manager. I had 28 branches. I cannot tell you how many people came across my desk that everyone in the bank thought had a lot of money. And so they would refer them to me, and then I would be sitting on the other side of them looking at their file being like, you got like half a million dollars in debt. Why are you in front of an investment manager? (laughs) So I laugh. I don't mean to be sinister. That was horrible. But uh, it, you know, but I laugh because we're making jest of it. 
but it is a major issue sure. because where do you, you know, who do you turn to? Where do you turn to? And um, I, I mean, I, I've known people to put parties on for uh, like ridiculous amounts of money just to quell the fears of, of people in their industry thinking that they were, um, you know, not doing well financially and that they weren't doing well financially. And you're like, why did you do that? Why did you spend that money? I didn't want everyone. They would be like, they didn't want everyone to know that they weren't doing well. Crazy, right? Crazy stuff that people do with money. Uh, so back to your um, a question about the embarrassment. People are making false comparisons. People have no idea what someone else is doing. If in fact they inherited that money, if they're throwing everything on a line of credit, but it is the number one question I get from people is how is everyone else making it? And you don't know because maybe you're doing everything right. Maybe you're doing more right than you realized. And even if you aren't, then the takeaway is you got to reach out and get help, right? Life is complex. People want these rules of thumb that you should. There was this stupid article that I was commenting on a couple of weeks ago about by the age of 35, you should have double your salary in the bank. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Who at 35 has double what they're making in the bank? I mean, this is the time you're going to get a house and start a family and everything else and try to, you know, um, pay off your credit cards and student loans. And then you hear stuff like that and you go, well, forget it. I'm not going to do anything then. Right. And so it becomes overwhelming. So as we focus on the older people, we just got a minute left and two really big things if we can kind of compact them. People are having to go back to work or work longer than Mm -hmm. they thought they were going to. So that's the big letdown. Yeah. And then you talk about a mortgage, but what about a people who have paid their houses off and using their house as an ATM with a reverse mortgage. mortgage? Yeah. I mean, you've got to go and see someone like a certified financial planner, a nonprofit credit counselor. You've got to crunch the numbers, see what your other options are, um, because there's always options. And especially if you're doing something like that and you've got children, um, you know, that may be a conversation you really want to have and understand the fees that you're paying, the interest costs, all of that. That's what gets people in a lot of trouble, too. Kelly Keene, award-winning author, personal finance educator. How many books have you written now, by the way, Kelly? I've written nine. Wow. Slacker, get to double digits. I'm Cons- trying. Consumer then you can advocate. move into our top three favorite <laughs> okay. guests. <laughs> okay, I'm doing it, baby. <laughs> Kellykeen.com is the website. Honored to have these next two guests in the studio at the same time. And they're seated directly, like, right beside one another. I don't know if I've ever seen this before. Yeah, they said uh, to us they're going to be yelling at each other at about 1.30 this afternoon. But right here, they're going to get along, and we're happy to see it. We have in studio with us MLA for Brandon West, Reg Helwer from the PCs, and Andrew Swan, MLA for Minto from the NDP. Gentlemen, thank you. It's like uh, we've just encountered uh, like a unicorn or something. It, it's just a rare occurrence to see you guys here getting along in this nonpartisan fashion. And why are they here, Greg? Well, you know, uh, organ donation, organ and tissue donate, donation, the conversation has been gigantic. Uh, Ironically, right, and fortuitously, as you were uh, getting together to create this uh, Manitoba Organ and Tissue Donation Task Force, it's something that we've been discussing uh, for years here in Manitoba. We've had the 
conversation about the potential of presumed or assumed consent as it pertains to organ and tissue donation. Uh, these two gentlemen coming together, exactly why, Reg? Why don't you give us the, the outline as to why you felt the need to create this task force? Well, it is a task force that was uh, talked about in the throne speech, and it's uh, the intent is to be a, a nonpartisan, all-party task force, and it was. And I, I thank Andrew and the members of the opposition and the Liberal Party for being part of it. It uh, it worked very well on uh, how we can improve organ and tissue donation in Manitoba. And Andrew, I see that the report was prepared by someone named Charity Maritim, who is an academic researcher with no political affiliation. How important was it to have somebody with who was just an outsider, just a researcher? Yeah, really great idea. We heard from uh, some excellent witnesses, people who uh, who do the transplants and prepare people for transplant, and and even some people who were both donors and recipients uh, or recipients' families. And uh, it was really powerful to take all that information and have somebody who's who's not part of the political scene, draft up a report that we could then look at and, and very happily agree on. And this can get political, right? This, this, this conversation can get divisive at times, not only politically, but within families. And maybe that's the biggest thing or most surprising thing you may have learned in, in conducting this task force is how quickly the best you know, best intention plans can go awry, Andrew, because you don't share with your family your intention to donate. That's right. We know there's there's probably tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of Manitobans who've signed their little blue card or they've signed the back of their Manitoba health card, which sits in their wallet. If a, if a tragedy strikes, if they're, for example, killed in a car accident or, or some other tragedy, uh, we were shocked to find that half of all prospective donors their families actually say no because they never had that conversation. Of course, when you find out your loved one has been seriously injured in an accident, you're not at your best. That's why it's so important that uh, people have that conversation. I know for, for Reg and myself and every member of our legislature, and I think every Manitoban, the story of Logan Boulay has really uh, changed the way people look at this issue. Logan was one of the members of the, the Humboldt Broncos. 21-year-old kid, registers online, tells his family his wishes. What 21-year-old actually even considers that issue? This young man who lost his life has actually saved at least six lives. Even if two politicians talking about this issue doesn't inspire you, a 21-year-old hockey player who has saved at least six people's lives should motivate everybody to go to signupforlife.ca, have your Manitoba health card with you, because all you need is your name, your date of birth, and your personal health information number on your card, it takes not even five minutes. This little blue card, I just I just checked my wallet to see if I had one, and I do, and it's signed, but is this, Reg, is this worth anything anymore? Well, thank you. The intent is great. Thank you for doing that. Uh, you also get uh, a card with your, uh, your health card when you get that, but the intent is there. We've moved on to the electronic world now, so please go to sign on to life. I sign up for life and, and make your wishes known there and you can recycle so a card. I can, so I can get rid it. of this. So this is garbage now. It's worth nothing. Well, or you could keep it in your wallet as an example of what not to do like I do. Because mm. when you go into the health system, we find out your health number and everything's on there. We don't go looking through your wallet. Okay. 
we're there to save your life. Yeah, and and it's an out, outstanding uh, story that you told. We, we've all been affected by the Humboldt Broncos uh, crash in one way, shape, or another, but I think we've all been inspired, and the numbers really speak to this. An incredible spike right across the country, and Reg, we saw that in Manitoba as well, the numbers of people who did go to signupforlife.ca and, and, and declare themselves organ and tissue donor, donors. Pardon me. Absolutely. It was a very emotional time for the staff there. Uh, the numbers were just over 21,000 on Sign Up for Life, and they're well over 30,000 now. Wow. So, Andrew, this task force that you put together, you moved fairly quickly on this. I mean, the process just uh, started last year. You've already got a report out. We're used to seeing things like this kind of take a year, two years to, to get out. Why was, this, why was it important to, to move so fast? Well, I think taking the politics out of it shows that uh, we can actually accomplish a lot. Now, Reg, uh, we'll talk about this, but uh, Reg's own daughter uh, required a kidney transplant. So Reg has spoken about this in the House. It's very emotional for Reg, and I want you to know it's very emotional for all of us. We do our political thing, and we take each other on over policies and, and ideas, but uh, you know we were really able to come together on this, and I think we can use our platform as MLAs. It's why we're so pleased that you had us on your show this morning. We can use our influence to try and get more people to replace their best intentions and their, their little blue card with going to signupforlife.ca and having a conversation with their families. We've also suggested that grade nine kids should learn about organ donation in school because we know they'll go home and have the conversation with their parents. And even though you can't sign up until you're 18, your grade nine kid may come home and say, hey, have you signed up for life? Do you know about Logan Boulay? Do you know that you can save uh, up to eight or more lives? Did you know you can still be a donor in your 70s, your 80s, even in your 90s? And did you know it only takes five minutes to sign up for life? Reg, I know I've learned more about recycling <laughs> <laughs> since my boys went to, you know, have been in school. They are uh, relentless on us around the house, right? So they're, they, the kids are great ambassadors for this. A happy ending for your daughter, Reg? It, it is, yes. Uh, I mean, she uh, she fell ill some, uh, well, when she was 19, so almost uh, 10 years ago, and um, it was an autoimmune disease and uh, went through the dialysis process and... Uh, uh, my wife was uh, the first uh, kidney donor, and uh, that went well. But then, you know, 95% of the time, there's no repercussions. Somebody has to fit in the 5% where the disease strikes again, and she's in that. So not long ago, uh, one of our sons was the, the second uh, living kidney donor. So we were very fortunate that we had uh, living kidney donors available. Uh, I'm the right blood type to be her parent, but not to give her a kidney. So, and we had many friends that stepped forward and relatives said, I can be tested. So uh, not everybody has a, a donor available as a living donor. So we want to make sure that uh, the deceased donors uh, are available as well for people. We're talking about the Manitoba Organ and Tissue Donation Task Force. And in studio, we have a couple of guys who are involved in this and they are Typically not friendly with each other, but we're very happy to have them in studio. That's not always true. <laughs> we, have, we have Reg Howard. That makes for better radio. We have MLA for Brandon West for the PCs, Reg Howard, and Andrew Swan, M NDP MLA for Minto, sitting side by side. And this task force uh, took a look at what do we need to do to get more people to get on the website, sign up for life, and really become an organ and tissue donor. Were there other things you looked at and what were the recommendations that came out of this task force, uh, Reg? 
Well, the main one I think that everybody agreed on without doubt was uh, adding it to the grade nine biology curriculum so that the students would learn about uh, how donation works and hopefully take that home to their parents. We know that's a, a big driver of, uh, of everything you learn from your kids. Uh, I've had some discussions with the Minister of Education and uh, he's on board with this. So we'll see how we can move this one ahead. Andrew? Yeah, one of the other things, of course, talking about the uh, signupforlife.ca and how do we get the word out to Manitobans that having the blue card in your wallet or signing the back of your health card isn't the best uh, and trying to find more ways to do that. This is one way to do it. One of the other thoughts is perhaps uh, working with MPI to see whether when you renew your insurance, whether that's a great portal for uh, brokers to be able to encourage people to sign up for life. That's a great time. It's something you have to do every every year. What a great time to, to have that conversation. And again, uh, the idea is that you would simply go then and, and sign up and, and spend less than five minutes uh, to potentially give the gift of, gift of life. And then in terms, Andrew, as well, of not just is it going to help someone survive, but there is all, you'd also be helping the healthcare system in terms of cost, would you not? Well, that's right. And, and we heard from some of the experts uh, on the task force that told us just how much it costs to keep someone on dialysis beyond the human impact of, of effectively being tethered to your home or being tethered to the hospital or the clinic where you get your dialysis. The cost of the taxpayers is huge. $150,000 a year in Winnipeg, even more if you're in, uh, for example, in Northern for one person for one person for one year. Okay. So if we can, through this, increase the number of uh, donations for kidneys alone, uh, that would save the healthcare system money. So if this works well, maybe next year, Reg and I can come back on, on air. We can argue about the best way to spend the money that the system could save from doing this. Well, of course, freeing people from, from right. having to go through dialysis. Wherever you may fit on the political spectrum, whatever your view of the world must be, getting more people to be prepared to be organ donors, it's a win-win-win for Manitobans. Now, uh, Andrew, you and I have uh, common friends all over the city, but two in particular come to mind when we have this discussion. A uh, good uh, friend of ours who we played football together with who received a heart transplant after four years of waiting. I'll, res I'll respect his privacy this morning because I don't have his permission to talk about this, but a gentleman we do have permission to talk about, another individual we played football with together, Derek. Aaron Turner, who lost his battle with kidney disease in the last several weeks, uh, heartbreaking message that I received from one of our, uh, one of my colleagues here, a common friend as well, uh, because Darren was as positive a person that you could know in terms of his battle with kidney disease and and on dialysis and and all the the nasty things that went with it. Yeah, Darren and I go way back. I mean, back to uh, elementary school. We used to play football at the uh, the fire hall, actually right next to his house on uh, on Whitewald Road. Uh, Darren lost his uh, his fight. He was on the list for a, a kidney transplant. Uh, he lost that. I got the Facebook notification just about two weeks ago that he was he should have been celebrating his 51st birthday. And I heard you earlier today just thinking about turning 50 and what that means uh, for guys of our vintage. It's a very very real issue. Uh, Darren and I uh, would not agree politically uh, on on a bunch of things, but uh, certainly he uh, he would come in this room. Uh, he's a large guy, defensive lineman. He was a fearsome football player, and he would uh, he'd shake it down to make sure that you would go and and do this to make sure. 
that other people don't have to wait. Reg, we got to go, but uh, one more time, what is the website that people need to visit? Signupforlife.ca. Reg Helwer is MLA for Brand Brandon West, pardon me, for the PCs, and Andrew Swan, MLA for Minto from the NDP. Thank you very much, gentlemen, uh, for joining us today in this nonpartisan fashion to tell us about this very important topic. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks on. for the opportunity. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Channel Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. And then-